0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a masterclass from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in.
1: Well, is there anything more frustrating in life than when someone has a standard for you that they're not willing to live up to themselves? I don't know if there's anything that's more frustrating when you realize that there's a set of rules for one group and they want you to follow that set of rules, but they're not willing to follow that set of rules themselves. When someone says, do this, but I'm not willing to do it, I assure you in those moments you will get frustrated. You have full permission to get frustrated when your manager or when the CEO of your company says, there are rules for me, and yet as a frontline employee, there are different rules for you. You get frustrated with your friends if you have a friend who will tell you one thing to your face, and they'll promise you one thing, and then they'll go behind your back and say something completely different. It's those moments when you tend to not trust people who live under this kind of guise of hypocrisy. For example, if you ever go to a butcher shop and you're asking about a cut of meat and the butcher reveals to you that she's vegan, you're going to say to yourself, I should not buy meat from this place. Don't trust a vegetarian butcher. I mean, they, they, they do not have authority on what they are saying. Or perhaps you, had a, uh, you go to get a haircut and you realize the person getting ready to cut your hair has really bad hair. You might want to go somewhere else. Or if you sign your kids up for piano lessons and on that first meeting you realize that the person giving your child piano lessons is also just learning to play the piano themselves, you're not going to get the maximum bang for your buck. It's frustrating because by design, if I ask a butcher a question, I need to know that he is the authority on that. And if they're not willing to eat the food, then how can they be an authority on that? If there's a different set of rules for the manager at the corner office, then you're going to struggle to stay connected at work and to trust the team because there are rules for some and free passes for others. Generally speaking, I am always going to struggle with the do as I say, but not as I do way of thinking. And my suspicion is, so will you. We tend to struggle in those moments And would you believe that in Romans chapter 2, which is where we're headed today, as we continue in this series called Masterclass for the next several weeks, we're going to be unpacking this incredible book of the Bible. Romans chapter 2 is where we're headed today. But did you know that in Romans chapter 2, it gives us this beautiful, convicting discourse about why it's important not just to talk the talk and why it's important for the things that we say are important and the things that we actually do lining up. As Pastor Jeff alluded to last week in the launch of this masterclass sermon series, the book of Romans was a letter that was written by this guy named Paul, and he wrote it to believers in the city, Rome. And Rome was kind of the epicenter of everything cultural, of everything financial, of everything political, of everything entertainment. He gave one of the best illustrations I've ever heard of Rome. If you imagine the juxtaposition of Las Vegas and Washington, D.C., that is Rome you know, where it's not just only the entertainment capital of the world, but the political and the leadership capital of the world. And in Rome, Paul is setting his sights in chapter two on a specific group of people. And it's this group of people that are very religious. It's the Jews. And to the Jews, he is showing them the error in their ways. He's highlighting for them, as you're going to see here in just a moment, that they have religious prowess like none other. They know the law better than anybody else. They're able to hold other people to this standard of the law, but they're also really lost. Just like you're going to struggle if you hire a contractor to come and do work for you who's never actually built anything, you're going to struggle when you're around a religious person that may not have that life-giving relationship with God. And what Paul's trying to get us to understand is how big of a problem that was in the first century, but we read it now in the 21st century, and we realize this is still... A big problem. And so as we take a deep dive into Romans chapter 2 today, I believe that you're going to see and hopefully prayerfully glean some insight about what it means to live a life that's honoring to God, that matches up with what I say and what I do. And to realize that the testimony and the influence that I can have as a follower of Jesus Christ is always going to go to the next level. When I realize how broken I am and how in need of a Savior I am, And how my words and my actions need to be in alignment because there is a world out there that is struggling. And there's a world out there that is in desperate need of the love and hope of Jesus Christ. And just like Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, he's writing this to us today to saying, you can do it. Do the hard work fulfill the mission that God has for you through Jesus Christ. And so to that end, I want to pray for us and ask God to come into this place. He's already here, but to come into our lives individually and to show us why, is, why it is that he has brought us here today and to help us walk away changed today because of him and his word. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day of life. Thank you for just this opportunity to be together for a powerful morning of worship already. And I thank you now for your word. God, I thank you for this letter that we have that was written to believers in Rome, and and I know that it is so relevant for us today. And so, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to what it is that you want to teach us, that we would walk away today changed because of this encounter with you. God, you are here, you are good, you are holy, and we know that you're present in this place and in our lives today. And so we pray that we would honor you today, that we would bring you praise with the way that we live And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen and amen. Now, most of us would probably agree, it's always more fun to point out the flaws and shortcomings of someone else than to deal with our own stuff, isn't it? I mean, you're human, you have blood pumping through your veins, this is church, we can be honest here. It is always more fun to tell somebody else what they are doing wrong than it is to deal with my own issues. And so out of the gate today, I'm going to give you the big idea of Romans chapter 2. In fact, this is kind of the big idea of a lot of the book of Romans. And I believe if we could grasp even a tenth of this big idea, that it would radically change the way that we live our lives. It would change the way that we are in relationships with others. I believe that it would change the focus that we have with our life. I think the momentum that could come, the continued momentum that could come in the life of not only our church, but churches across our community, if we could just even begin to grasp this, I believe more people will come to faith in Christ than we're already seeing, more baptisms than we're already seeing, more marriages saved than we're already seeing. So are you ready for the big idea? Are you ready for the big idea? Okay, you know, get out your pen. It's on here on the screen. The big idea is that there is not just something wrong with the world, but also something wrong with you. Did that hurt a little bit? Maybe you need to write the word me, you need to write the word you, whichever one you're most comfortable with. There's not just something wrong with the world. There's also something wrong with you. Some of you showed up for the very first time today and you're like, somebody invited me and they told me this was an encouraging place and this was kind and the pastor was nice and the music was great and that I wasn't going to feel bad about myself when I left today. And I don't say this to be discouraging to you. I don't say this to be disparaging at all, but rather it's a call to understand that there is a big, broken, sinful world out there. And it's a call to understand that I am a broken, sinful person who only by the grace of Jesus Christ has been made whole. See, there are many people in the world that have sin. I have sin. He has sin. He has sin. She has sin. She has sin. Everyone has sin. But because of the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven of that sin. And I can walk in the newness of life. But lest we forget, we're not perfect. The world is flawed, so are we. And that's at the heart of Romans too. because what Paul is trying to get the believers to understand and what he's trying to get us to understand today is that it's not just all the people out there who are in need, but that we are also in desperate need of a Savior. And so my hope and my prayer is that if you've not met Jesus, that today you'll meet him, that the power of the gospel would resonate with you in such a profound way today that you would say, you know what, I want to walk away from the sin in my life and to be fully his, fully known by Jesus Christ. And so if you'll take your Bible and turn with you to Romans chapter 2, or maybe you want to look up here on the screen, or you want to hop on a mobile device and follow along. In Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1 and read down through verse 4. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Sometimes I think it's best just to let the word of God speak for itself. Because what he's saying here to this Jewish population is he's saying, in in essence, how dare you? You have no excuse to pass judgment on someone else because what you are pointing out in the lives of other people, you are struggling with yourself. You're holding everyone else to a standard that you're not willing to live up to yourself. In essence, you're saying, do as I say, but not as I do. And he's speaking directly to this Jewish population. How do we know that? Because if you fast forward a few verses, you'll see that he launches into system teaching about circumcision. And so this was something, a, a practice of uh, the Jewish people. This wasn't a practice of the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people. The Old Testament law was given to the Jews. And now we see when Jesus comes, he's the perfect fulfillment of that law. And he now shows everyone that he died for them, not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles, those had, that had not been practicing and adhering to all of the Old Testament law. And he says to the Jews, you have no excuse because, see, you pass judgment on someone else. And when you pass that judgment on another person, you, in essence, are actually condemning yourself. Now, what do we know about the Jews in Rome? We know that they were very well educated. We know that they were highly versed in religion they were experts in the law in fact there was over 600 laws that they would have followed so feverishly and so religiously and they tried to obey each and every one of them and in their religious pursuits they had made their life all about religion and holding how much more religious they were over everyone but yet they were still sinning They weren't stopping to acknowledge that they were also flawed and that they were also broken and that they were also in need of the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Do you know what one of the number one competitors of the gospel spreading in our community is right now? Do you know what one of the number one competitors of the gospel spreading in your neighborhood is? It's religion. Religion has been and will continue to be one of the number one competitors. One of the things that moves us away from understanding the true gospel message then and now. Because when you think about religious practices, it was the religion that was clouding the first century Jews' understanding of who Jesus was. Imagine if your entire life had been devoted to this rigorous study of the law and adhering to every little bit of that law. And along comes Jesus sent by God proclaiming that you can actually never be good enough to warrant what he has done for you. Well, that strikes at the heart of everything that you have lived for, of all the things that you thought were right, and that gift of God is free and it's available to all, including the Gentiles. And why the Jews were struggling is because the Gentiles weren't adhering to the law the way that they were. They were eating meat that Jewish people wouldn't eat. And so you can understand why the Jews would have looked at the Gentiles and they would have struggled to see that salvation was available through faith to all of them. And in a pursuit to kind of control their own destiny and in the same pursuit that we have now to control our own destiny, we say, you know what, I want to be good enough in my own power and I believe that I can do enough things to warrant what God has for me. And that's why religion has always been one of the number one competitors of understanding what it is that Jesus has done for us. I have a couple friends in my life right now that are incredibly religious, but very far from God, incredibly religious. But very far from God, and perhaps you have some people in your life like that as well, and maybe that's you, where you've spent your entire life trying to check all the boxes. Or maybe you had a faith tradition that was really steeped in legalism, or that was steeped in just let me follow all of these rules, and there's not joy in your life right now. There's not that life giving relationship with Jesus Christ because your whole life has been about just trying to not let other people down and not trying to mess up on all of the rules. Maybe it's not just religion. Anything can become a religion to us, can it? I mean, political ideologies can become a religion. There's certain movements that can become a religion for us. It's those things that takes priority in our life, those things that we adhere to from a religious perspective. And we say, you know what? I'm going to religiously do all of those things. And what Paul is saying is you're not made right by all of those things. It doesn't matter how many things that you adhere to if you forget that you're broken like everyone else. Think about the Ten Commandments, for example. The Ten Commandments were the basis of the Old Testament law. How many of the Ten Commandments have you broken? You know, or where where are we? Are we like 60%? You know, 50%, you know, murder? Okay, I don't think, you know, I haven't done that, so that's good. Have I always honored my father and mother? No, so I'm going to get a check for that one. Have I ever stolen anything? Not that I'm aware of, but probably as a kid, unbeknownst to me, so I won't give myself a check for that one. Have I ever coveted and wanted something that somebody else has? Yeah. And so then I realized even the foundational 10 commandments that were the bedrock of the Old Testament law, I realized, I don't know, maybe I'd give myself a solid 50% on those which is not a passing grade. But then along comes Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the law. The scriptures tell us that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came as the perfect fulfillment of the law. And what does Jesus do? Jesus takes it to the next level. And he says, oh, it's not enough that you just have never murdered anyone, because if you have hate in your heart, you're just as guilty as the person who has murdered someone. Uh Uh-oh, we're flawed, we're broken, we have sin in our life. And it makes sense now why Paul was saying to all of these rule followers, to this Jewish population, he was saying to them, your religion is not enough. Your ardent following of all of the rules, it was not enough. And today, Paul is saying to us, don't carry yourself in a way where you think there's absolutely nothing wrong with you, because there is. And don't pass judgment on other people, because in doing so, you're condemning yourself. See, that judgment of God is based on truth, it says. And you're to never compromise the truth. You're to never withhold the truth. Even as Pastor Jeff alluded to last week, one of the most loving things that you can do for another person is to speak the truth to them and to let them see the error in their ways and to show them what sin is in their life. It's those things that separate us from God. You're never to withhold the truth. I'm never going to stand on a stage as your pastor and say that sin is not sin. Sin is unquestionably sin. All of those things that are listed out there in Romans, these, these sins that, that we struggle with and that we fall prey to. I'm not going to say that, that those things are, are not there. That is the truth. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of Christ. But when you, a mere human, pass judgment on someone else, it puts you in a perspective to where you think that everything is perfect about you and imperfect about everyone else. Did you know that you're not in the place of God? <laughs> you actually don't get to be the judge. But we want to be, don't we? Life is much more fun if the world is my courtroom and I'm the judge and I have the gavel. (sighs) Guilty. Innocent. Guilty. I want to be the one who passes that judgment. But I don't get that responsibility. I don't have that right. But I do have the right to proclaim the truth. The Lord instructs me to proclaim the truth, He never asks me to be the judge. And so as you see here on the screen, and maybe this will be the first time you've ever thought through this, did you know that proclaiming truth and passing judgment are not one in the same? Proclaiming truth and passing judgment are not one in the same. Maybe you've heard that old phrase, it's much quoted. In fact, it was quoted last week. In our lives, we are to love the sinner but hate the sin. This is just a refreshed way of saying that. Proclaiming truth and passing judgment are not one and the same. Back to verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? You're broken. I'm broken. I'm not the judge. You're not the great judge. But yet you're instructed to proclaim the truth. We're instructed to love people boldly. We're asked to not withhold from helping someone understand what is sin in their life. But it's not our job to be the final judge. God is the one who does that. In fact, I pray that there are people in your life right now that you fundamentally disagree with. If there's not some people in your life right now that are living in sin that you can't help to kind of understand and see the error in their ways and that you can't help love them through what's going on in their life, I pray that you would would expand your, your kind of purview of the relationships that you have right now because it's our job to hold the line of truth while also realizing that because of my own sin, it makes it impossible for me to be the judge. It sounds nuanced because it is. I believe that there are many people out there right now who struggle with this because we want to proclaim the truth so boldly and we want to proclaim the truth so passionately that instead of just proclaiming the truth, we also just judge everyone. We kind of have them synonymous. It's just one and the same. And then there's another camp of us that we don't know how to proclaim the truth without we we think that we're gonna sound judgmental and so we don't proclaim the truth at all and that's not healthy. There has to be some kind of balance. We have to find that balance. And in fact Romans chapter two exists because that balance is a struggle. And so if you've ever struggled to say how do I proclaim the truth in love while also not being someone who brings that heaping of judgment up on someone else, then Romans chapter two is for you. If you have ever struggled to walk that line and to understand that balance. My hope and my prayer is that you would allow God to speak through his word to you today. Now, as we continue on in verse 4, we're told that when we judge, we're actually showing contempt for the riches of God. And what he yearns to do is to forgive us. So by taking the place of the one who judges, you're actually showing contempt for the kindness of God because what you're saying is, I don't think that that person is worthy of what God has done for them you're saying, I don't think that you're worthy of that free gift. Remember when you turned eight or seven? This happened in my life. I can actually hear my parents saying this. Remember when they were having a birthday party for you as a kid? And I can hear my mom's voice in my head right now saying, if you so even make a face about not liking a gift that someone gives you, your parties are canceled for, for you know, in, in perpetuity. Like If you make a face that says, I don't like that gift that you're aunt brought to you or that your friend brought to you, I promise you, you will not have any more birthday parties. Because what she was trying to get me to understand is it's very contemptuous to say, you're giving me something for free and I don't like it. And in essence, what Paul is saying to the Jews in Rome is he's saying, when you take that place of judgment, forgetting that you're broken, forgetting that you've been shown forgiveness, you're showing contempt to God by saying, I don't like what you're giving someone else for free. (laughs) Now, I was glad that I got it for free, but I don't like that you're giving that to someone else for free. Rather, we should seek to be like him opposed to not being like the world. And so as you pick back up in verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And so what Paul is saying here is that when you harbor that bitterness or when you take the place of being the great judger, you're storing up wrath and it's on your shoulders and you're beginning to feel all this angst and pressure for things that you were never intended to feel. Whereas according to verse 6, it says that God will repay each person accordingly. The evil will get what they deserve. In an evil world, we want to be the ones giving the retribution, don't we? Why? Because we want to be the judge. We want to be the one who casts the final verdict. Sometimes we need to be vindictive, but we've got to let that go. Have you ever heard that old phrase? Maybe your grandma quoted it, let go and let God. That was on a cross stitch at my grandmother's house. And I think she had it up from a worry perspective, you know, let go and let God. But I've thought now as an adult, I'm like, that preaches. That's a good statement. It's really relevant for a lot of things, not just worry, but also when it comes to kind of the vindictive nature that we have or the desire that we have to be the ultimate judge to let go and let God sort these things out. It will actually eat you alive and make you bitter when you fail to realize that proclaiming truth and passing judgment are not the same. It was eating the Jews alive, that the Gentiles were not following the rules. They weren't getting circumcised. They were eating certain prohibited meats But the Jews were messing up as well. It's just a lot more fun to point out flaws in other people than it is to deal with my own. But then those who persist in doing good, what does it say? When you persist in doing good, you will receive eternal life. There's a promise of eternal life for those who are doing it the right way. If you live with a God-first perspective, Eternal life comes. But for those who live with a self-seeking perspective, you find that wrath of God, it's a really cut and dry promise. If you follow the evil path, judgment's going to come. But if you follow the Christ-like path, eternal life is going to come. That trouble and distress will be there for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. But that reward and that blessing will be there for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Neither is exempt. See, both receive good results if they go about it God's way. Back to verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. This is incredible good news for us this morning, my friends. God does not show favoritism among the Jew, among the Gentiles. See, we tend to f- think of showing favorites only in a really kind of positive way. You know, I'm going to play favorites and give you the place of honor. I like you better than I like him. So, you know, you can sit here, you can't sit here, whatever it might be. Whereas God says, I'm not going to show you favoritism because you're a Jew, if you trust Jesus and you understand the flaw in your ways, then your relationship with me is good. If you're a Gentile and you don't follow my ways, if you live for yourself first, if you worship created things opposed to worshiping the creator, then your life will be a pursuit of wrath. You see that wrath of God. So as you see this here on the screen, see Jesus plays no favorites for who gets the prize or who avoids the punishment. Jesus plays no favorites for who gets the prize or who avoids the punishment. That's kind of a preview for you for chapter 3. Come back next week for that. Because in chapter 3, we're reminded that all sin and all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus died for us all. And to anyone who will accept him and understand the free gift of God, they experience eternal life. And what Jesus was doing is was showing us that this was not just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. Back to verse 12, "...all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law." They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Paul continues by saying all who sin apart from the law, Gentiles, they didn't have the law, they weren't under the law, so they sin apart from the law. He says they will perish. But then he also says all who sin under the law, which are the Jews, they're also going to be judged. So it's key to understand sin and it's key to understand what impact that has on me because it's that sin in my life that leads to wrath. And it's not just the hearers of the law who are righteous, but it's about those who obey it. Because see, if hearing was enough, if perfect church attendance was enough, if adherence to all 613 laws was enough then the Jews would have been shown favoritism. But the Gentiles who didn't have the law, who weren't under the law, who didn't do things required by the law, they experience eternal life. They receive it. And apart from the law, they understand it because it's impressioned up on their heart. Verse 15 is in reference to the Gentiles, and it says the requirements of the law are up on their heart because they have a conscience. And they know good from evil. And again in verse 16, you have this theme once again that says God is the one who does the judging. And he judges the secrets, meaning he judges the things that, from a law perspective, we don't even know how to hold anybody accountable to. I mean, think about one of the Ten Commandments. One of the key tenets of the Old Testament law was to not commit adultery. And then Jesus comes the perfect fulfillment of the law. And what does Jesus say? Remember that whole thing about murder? And he says, oh, you've never murdered anyone. We're good. And Jesus says, oh, if you've ever actually had hate in your heart, you're as guilty as the murderer. From the adultery perspective, what does Jesus say? He says, if you've ever looked with anyone with lust in your heart, then you are also guilty of adultery. Well, how do I judge someone against all the thoughts that they have. How do I hold someone accountable to all the things that I can't even see that they're dealing with? I can't, but God does, and God can, and God will. And that's precisely why God is reminding us that it's not just the world that's broken, but it's us that are broken. It's not just that guy over there that's flawed, but it's me that is Flawed and in desperate need of a savior. And so to not put myself in a position that God never intended me to put myself in. Back to verse 17. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you were instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others. Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And again, this part of the letter is written specifically to the Jewish population. Those who were religious beyond belief. And to the Jews, he says, you're dependent on the law. You're boasting in God. You know his will. You're approving that he is superior. You're convinced that you're helping other people. You're convinced that you're bringing light to the dark. You're convinced that you are a teacher to others. But then he gives them the gut punch and says, you teach others, but do you teach yourself? You hold this standard over everyone else, but do you live according to that standard yourself? When you don't, What happens is you're bringing dishonor to God. And in fact, the text says that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of that type of behavior. God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Why? Because you're saying one thing and then doing another. Meaning those who are far from God are going to struggle to believe in that message. Why does all this matter? This matters hugely for us because we need to realize what happens every time in our life when we live under this mantra of do as I say, not as I do. When we live under that mantra, the world is turned away and the world is confused and your unbelieving friends and your unbelieving neighbors struggle when they don't see that continuity between what you say matters and how you actually live. Did you guys know that you have neighbors that watch you all the time? There was somebody watching you pull out of your driveway this morning, and they knew you were going to church. They were like, they are way too dressed up. Their kids are well too, they're, they're not going to school. Like, they can't be going to baseball because there's no baseball uniforms on. I wonder where they're going. They know. Your friends and your neighbors who you proclaim the truth of the gospel to, they know what's important to you. And yet, there's a responsibility that comes with saying, you know what, I want to point other people to that life giving relationship with Christ. I don't want my life to stand in the way of them experiencing the good news and experiencing the hope that is in Christ. You see this here on your screen, but when your words and actions are not in alignment, you're not the only one impacted. (laughs) You will be impacted. When your words and actions are not in alignment, it will affect you, it affects your own walk with the Lord. But you're not the only one impacted because verses 23 and 24 says, You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's quite convicting to think that maybe my hypocrisy could cause the name of Jesus to be blasphemed, but it could cause someone else to struggle to trust Jesus. I'm not sure that there's a more pronounced reason for us to say, let's get this right, than to know that there are people in our influence that might see one thing and not see it lived out based on words and actions. And we have as the bedrock of our faith, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, who forgave us, who told us to prioritize God and people above everything else. And what do we know about Jesus? The life of Jesus, Jesus never moved away from the truth. He never parsed words. He never withheld from someone that there was sin in their life. But he also met people in the most loving of ways. And he met people in the most kind and compassionate manner. He met their needs. He didn't withhold truth, but yet he did that in a loving way. And so this morning, I'm going to ask all of us to do an inventory of our life and see if there's an area of our life where maybe our words and our actions don't match up that we would have the courage to say, you know what? I know that there's a world that's watching. I know that there are clients that are watching. I know that there's families that are watching. I know there's a community that's watching, and I know that they will take note. So help me, God, to live according to your standards. Back to verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And Paul is saying, Circumcision is valuable, but not if you break the law. It was the sign of the covenant before Jesus, but it's not needed anymore. So if you're circumcised and you break the law, it's irrelevant. Back to the number one competitor of gospel truth is religion. I'm all good. I've followed all the rules. I can't believe no one else has been circumcised. They're eating things that they're not supposed to eat, so of course they're less than me. Case closed. But Jesus is saying, no, I yearn for more for you. What does Jesus yearn for you? Jesus yearns for relationship over rules. Jesus yearns for relationship over rules. It's not just these outward physical things. It's that circumcision of the heart. And this is so mind-blowing to me. It's a very upside-down way of thinking because Romans 2 is delivered to a group that is steeped in legalism. They're steeped in tradition. They're steeped in all the list of regulations and rules Like many of us, fall prey to, And Jesus reminds us it's all about that relationship. Isn't it great news that Jesus ushered in a new way? That we don't have to yearn anymore for the praise of other people. That we don't have to remind everybody else how many rules that we have followed. But yet I should be about the praise of God and how good he is to yearn for his praise and not to yearn for that outward acknowledgement from everyone else about all the things that I have done. Did you know that being praised by God is more important than being praised by others? Being praised by God is more important than being praised by others. So how do I make that happen in my life? How do I receive that praise of God in my life? Well, I realize first and foremost that I am broken and that I am in desperate need of Him. And just like this Jewish population, religion is not enough. It's not the praise of man but rather the praises of God. Jesus made a way for everyone to be made right, and my life will either point others to God who loves them, or perhaps my life will confuse others. Isn't it good news to know this morning that it's not just the world that's broken, but that I'm broken? Isn't it comforting to know that it's not just the world that's flawed, but that I'm flawed? So how about we go proclaim the truth and love today and we allow God to work through us as he desires and to say, Lord, I want to be an instrument for your peace today. I want to be an instrument for the gospel. I want to be someone who boldly proclaims the truth while not being the one that feels like I have to pass all the judgment, but to realize how broken I am, to realize the error in my ways and to never forget the grace of God that has been shown to me. And because of that, I can walk out of these doors this morning into a world of other broken people and point them to the hope, the life, and the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for
0: listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The rolling Hills sermon podcast is a part of the rolling Hills podcast network available on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and Google podcast. Thanks for tuning in.